guys, back to another episode of the Mid-American Bandwagon Podcast. This is already episode five. I'm yours truly, Sam Thelman, joined as always with Zach Folly. How are you doing, Zach? I'm doing good, man. I'm doing good. It's uh, been an interesting, you know, it's weird watching, been watching hoops the last couple of days in August here, uh, getting us ready to roll into football season. Big news, some scheduling news has been coming out. It's looking more and more like we're going to try and play some games here in a couple of weeks, which... I don't know if you would ask me a few weeks ago, I wouldn't have believed it, but here we are. Uh, got some games coming up and, and some announcements and stuff like that. So lots to talk to today, a lot of news, exciting stuff happening right now in the MAC. Yeah, you mentioned basketball. I'm, I've been pretty happy watching my Pacers get two dubs in a row, but we're not here to talk about NBA action. We're talking about Mid-American Conference news, and we've got quite a few news surrounding MAC, Big 12, just all sorts of things. So, Zach, would you like to break down kind of the first thing? Yeah, definitely. So, um, the the Big 12 announced late last week that they are moving to a nine-game conference schedule with one non-conference game model for this year. So, they're going 10 games total for their teams with one non-conference game. So, that leaves some of their schools in kind of a tough spot because, you know, they schedule three non-conference games before the season starts. A lot of those schools are going to have to cancel two of those games now. Some schools had already, you know, had games canceled because of their opponents, but there are some that still had their non-conference slate intact. Uh, and so now there's some decisions that have to be made. The one decision there that's going to affect the MAC potentially is going to be Iowa State. So uh, Ball State scheduled Iowa State just a couple of weeks ago as a replacement for uh, one of the games that they lost in the non-conference, and it was a replacement for Iowa State as they lost the Iowa game whenever the Big Ten announced they were going conference only. So the thing that's going to be interesting is now uh, Iowa State has three non-conference games, including the one that they rescheduled against Ball State, and they're going to need to choose which one of these games are going to, they're going to keep. So uh, as of right now, they have uh, on September 5th, they're scheduled to play against South Dakota, September 12th is the Ball State game, and then September 19th is UNLV. So the um, it's going to be interesting. The contract, um, I pulled up an article here from the Ames uh, Star Tribune, uh, which is obviously where Iowa State's located, and it looks like Ball State and, and Iowa State agreed to a $350,000 payment for this game coming up in September. And then in addition to that, uh, the, uh, the Cyclones agreed to schedule Ball State in a basketball game either this coming season or the season after. So there's going to be a couple of different factors that, that come into this. I think it's going to be, you know, looking at these contracts from Iowa State's perspective, which one is it going to be easiest for them to get out of or, or maybe the cheapest for them to get out of without having to pay anything out? I would think geographically, uh, based on, you know, where those three schools are located, to me, Ball State makes the most sense. I think it's closest to Ames by far uh, among those three. And I also think from a competition standpoint, obviously South Dakota is an FCS school. UNLV is coming off a four and eight season. They haven't been competitive the last couple of years. They haven't been to a bowl game in almost 10 years. Neither has Ball State, but Ball State has the, uh, you know, three of their best returning players on offense coming back and really I think could challenge the Cyclones more so than those other two schools could. So it's going to be interesting. I don't know. I think that, announcement's probably going to come out here in the next week or so and it'll give us a little bit more clarity on what Ball State's non-conference schedule is going to look like. Yeah, I, I'm holding out for hope that Ball State is the lone non-conference for Iowa State. I think the thing that helps Ball State is because Iowa State just agreed to it. It, it would seem kind of like crappy in a way to be like, 
we just agreed to this and two weeks later you're canceling. I would say that, and if they want to play basketball, I'm not sure it would look too kindly to also cancel the football game. So hopefully there's hope there that Ball State can somehow maintain this kind of good matchup considering we already lost uh, Michigan, Indiana, and potentially uh, Wyoming, which we will talk about next. Zach, would you like to break down the Mountain West? The Mountain, Mountain West. West. Yeah. Mountain West. Yeah. So the Mountain West uh, also announced yesterday that they're going with eight conference games and two non-conference games. So this affects a couple of games in in the MAC as well. One of them being Ball State versus Wyoming. Um, Wyoming was scheduled to travel to Muncie on September 26th. The Mountain West has decided that they're not allowing their teams to start playing games until September 26th. So that is really right up on that date. It's going to be interesting to see if, if Wyoming decides to keep that game. That's, there's been a negative effect there in some other uh, institutions. Central Michigan was scheduled to open the season against San Jose State on September 5th. Obviously, that's not going to happen because San Jose State's not going to be able to, to play that early. So it'll be interesting to see what Central Michigan does there. That was Central Michigan's last remaining non-conference game. They lost Northwestern. They lost Nebraska. They lost Bryant. So there's three of their four. And then San Jose State was the last holdout. So Central Michigan's uh, non-conference schedule has literally been decimated. And then San Diego State was also scheduled to travel to Toledo on September 12th. Obviously, that falls before the September 26th date as well. So looks like Toledo is going to lose that game uh, in addition to the, the Michigan State game that they already lost. So there's, there's three more games there potentially that, that are down the tubes for the MAC. Um, you know, the MAC is the last conference that hasn't come out and said for sure what their plan is going to be yet. I think there's some rumblings that it's going to be nine conference games and one non-conference. They're, you know, we're, they're expected to announce that here probably today or tomorrow. You know, we're, we're recording here on Thursday morning. But, uh, yeah, so three more games down the tubes there for the MAC potentially. These non-conference schedules are still starting to look pretty lean, Sam. Yeah, and not to mention we've only got basically – a little bit more than a month. So yeah. when you're trying to schedule non-conference, you've got to kind of schedule ahead uh, um, a little bit ahead of time. And it's not looking good. Central Mac with no non-conference games. It's going to be hard for them to recover with every, with every conference doing different things and you've got to fit everything. So the Mac is in a tough spot. They haven't announced anything, as Zach said. And we'll, we just have to wait and see what they decide to do. And next on the docket is the ACC unveiled the 2020 football schedule. Zach, would you like to break that down as well? Sure. So um, similar to the Big 12, uh, the ACC is going with one non-conference game. So they're, they're doing 10 conference games and one non-conference, bringing it to the, the total of 11. Um, so this affects three MAC schools. Thankfully, this one, the, the news here is a little bit more positive. So Miami was scheduled to play at Pitt on September 12th. That game will remain on the schedule. Ohio was scheduled to travel to Boston College also on September 12th. That game will also remain on the schedule. And then Western Michigan was scheduled to go to Notre Dame on September 19th. That game will remain on the schedule. So those are three bye games right there. That's great news for the MAC and for those specific schools. Miami, Ohio, and Western Michigan. I know they're very happy that they were able to keep those games and you know earn earn the paychecks there. Clemson has not yet announced who their non-conference opponent is going to be. There is a potential that they could keep Akron on the schedule. 
Akron was scheduled to go down to Clemson on uh, what's the date on that game. That was going to be on September 19th. So again, Clemson hasn't announced uh, what their non-conference schedule is going to be. If I had to guess, I would think Clemson is going to try and play South Carolina if they can uh, because of the rivalry and the history there. But again, obviously no announcement has been made. So there is a possibility that Akron could still get that payday from Clemson. Um, I don't think that game would end up being too pretty if they play it. But nonetheless, they they could at least go down there and and, and play the game and and get the check. So we'll see what happens there. But yeah, so the the ACC um, is, you know, was the last of the Power Five to announce their, their schedules. And, well, I shouldn't say that, actually. We're still waiting on the Big 12, but they, they did announce their schedules this morning. But uh, So we got three three bye games for sure there with the ACC, with the potential for Akron uh, being the fourth. And this is great news for the Mac. Keeping three non-conference, anytime you keep Notre Dame, that's going to be huge for any team. But what I don't get is how Notre Dame chose, no offense to Western Michigan, but how they didn't keep Ball State, consider, or they didn't add Ball State, considering the fact that Ball State is literally like three hours away. The ACC wants kind of in-state games, and they still chose Western Michigan to come to Notre Dame. It just doesn't make sense to me. I don't know about you, Zach, but that's just like a thing I thought of that like kind of frustrated me. Yeah, I, I do agree with you. I think it would make sense logistically for, for Notre Dame to play Ball State. I think the only advantage Western Michigan had in this scenario was that that game was already on the schedule uh, and so it was probably easier for Notre Dame just to keep that. That would be my guess. But I do, in principle, agree with you, Sam. I do think that Ball State going up to South Bend would have made sense. So hopefully, since that didn't happen, um, hopefully, fingers crossed for the Cardinals that they're able to keep that game with Iowa State and at least have one non-conference game. You know, like you mentioned a couple minutes ago, we're only a month away from the season here. You know, camps are opening. September is right around the corner. So there's all this talk of, of, you know, finding new non-conference games and changing schedules. And I I don't know how that's going to happen. Like you said, these non-conference games are usually scheduled years in advance. So to think that, you know, some of these schools are going to be able to pick up a game or two here with only a month of notice. I I don't know how likely that is. Yeah. And we've actually got some more award watch list news. I thought we were kind of done with the like preseason award watch list. But we've got some more. This time, the Manning Award watch list, we've got Dustin Crumman. To my surprise, Drew Plitt was actually on this award. If you don't know, it's the best college football uh, best college football quarterback. Am I correct, Zach? That's correct, yes. So what, what, is, what is your takeaway from this, this short list? You know, we've, we've talked a lot about Dustin Crum here. I don't think there's anything else that needs to be said about him. I mean, I, you, I've said many times, I've gone on record here on previous episodes, I, I think he's the best quarterback in the conference and probably one of the best quarterbacks in the group of five coming in this year. I think with a good year this year, he, he could potentially hear his name called in the NFL draft next year. But I don't think Drew Plitt gets enough credit for what he does and he doesn't get enough recognition really really had a strong year last year but through for just under 3,000 yards about 2,900 yards 24 touchdowns 64 percent completion rate it's only his first year as a starter so I think with an entire offseason although it was a little bit truncated this year with with all the pandemic and stuff I think he's going to have a great year this year I think he has weapons coming back he has Caleb Huntley he has Justin Hall they got a strong offensive line coming back I think it's all signs point to Drew Plitt having a big year this year. I think 
if you're looking at the best quarterbacks in the MAC, I think Dustin Crum is certainly number one. But I would take Drew Plitt over anyone else in the conference. That includes Brett Gabbard at Miami of Ohio, who was the freshman of the year last year. I just think the senior leadership of Plitt um, is a big reason why I'm high on the Cardinals this year. Yeah, to my surprise, he was on the list. I definitely respect him. He's definitely a great quarterback. But the reason why I was surprised is because he wasn't on the Davey O'Brien Award, which is also yeah. another quarterback award. So I'm just wondering, like, what's like, what's how can he make one without the other? It just doesn't really make sense to me. But hey, he's on an award watch list. Good for him. I'm proud of him. I I hope I get to see him beat Iowa State. Hopefully. Yeah. I was just going to say, hopefully he has a couple non-conference games to show off his skills. I think that Iowa State game could be a big one for him if they're able to play that game to go down there and play against some Big 12 talent. I think Ball State in general, they have the talent to go down there and compete in that game. I don't know that I necessarily expect them to win, but I could definitely go to see them going down there and put some points on the Cyclones. Yeah, uh, that that's one hope. Hopefully it remains on the schedule. But we've actually got some softball news. Uh, Penn State softball recently hired Cl- Clarissa Crowell as the new head coach. So, uh, Zach, you're obviously a uh, Penn State alum. What is your reaction to them getting Clar- Cl- Clarissa Crowell? Yeah, so um, it's it's been a, a struggle the last couple of years for Penn State softball team. They, they haven't been all that competitive in the Big Ten. Uh, I was I – was, surprised to see this hiring I think it's a great hire though coming from a a Penn State fan you know you look at at what Crawl did at at Miami of Ohio over the last eight years Um, she's the winningest softball coach in program history 208 wins Uh, and then this past season she was the uh, the coach of the year she also led the Red Hawks to the 2016 conference championship so she's done a great job at uh, at Miami this past year they went 35 and 16 16 and 4 in the conference and that included a 10 game winning streak which was the longest in program history um, led the MAC in ERA at about 2.5 so I think this is someone that's going to um, really build a solid program she sounds like she's a great recruiter really kind of preaches the fundamentals of strong defense and, 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 you know, position play and, and, um, you know, situational, you know, softball. So I think for, for a Penn state fan um, that, you know, wants all Penn state sports to succeed, I think this is certainly a a strong hire for the Nittany lions. And I'm excited to see what, uh, what Clarissa is going to do when she, she arrives on campus in Happy Valley. Yeah, this isn't, this is a big blow for the Mac in general. You're losing a program leader with 208 wins. Mac coach of the year, everything you mentioned, just a strong leader. Penn State definitely probably paid her a lot more, which is probably why she left. And I don't blame her, honestly. It's, it's, it's business at the end of the day and you got to do what you got to do. 35 and 16 last year, 16 and four record. This, that's going to be tough to recover from from Miami, for Miami moving forward. You're losing you're losing kind of your foundation. Hopefully, yeah. you can move forward and keep kind of their winning ways moving forward. Yeah, you know it's it is unfortunate for Miami. I think though, when you're a school in the MAC or or any of the Group of Five conferences, I think this is kind of just reality is kind of is what it is, right? Where you're a smaller school with a smaller budget, you can't pay your coaches quite as much. So when a coach comes and, and has success at your school, it's only natural that a, a bigger school with a bigger budget is going to come in and scoop them up. And, you know, I think if anything, that's a, it's a testament to, to Miami's success. And, and hopefully, uh, you know, what the foundation that she built at Miami over the last eight years will be able to sustain the coaching change and they can continue that momentum moving forward. But, you know, it's just, it is what it is. It's the same thing that happened to, 
you know, Toledo with Matt Campbell or Western Michigan with PJ Fleck or any of these schools that, you know, they, you know, have success in a certain sport and then lose their coach to a bigger program. This is just another example of that. Yeah. And earlier, earlier in this uh, summer, we saw uh, Ball State's softball coach leave to become an assistant at Texas. So it's not, it's not been unusual this year. I mean, they're, they're just moving to bigger programs. Makes sense. Uh, do you have any final thoughts, Zach, on what we covered from the all the other conference news to the award watch list to the softball coach hiring? No, I don't think so. I think the thing I'm really just waiting on right now is I'm waiting to hear something from the MAC in terms of, you know, what they're going to do uh, football scheduling wise. They're, they are the last conference that's come out or, or that, you know, that hasn't said anything yet. So uh, the other group of fives over the last week or so have started to announce their plans and announce their schedules because Obviously, the group of five teams are waiting on the power five teams to make their decisions first. They kind of drive the bus. So the MAC is the last conference that hasn't made a solid announcement um, or put anything in stone yet. So it's going to be interesting to see what the MAC ends up doing. Again, indications do look like it's going to be nine conference games and one non-conference. So we'll see, you know, if any of these teams can can scramble to replace some non-con games or, or what those non-conference schedules are going to look like. That's the big thing that I'm I'm waiting to hear on right, right now. Yeah, I'm there with you. It's just a waiting game at this point. The Mac's supposed to release sometime today till tomorrow, which we will probably then cover next episode. We'll just have to wait and see on that. And yeah, I think that's going to wrap it up for this uh, general news segment. We're going to move on to our Twitter question of the week now. Welcome back, guys, to the another segment of the Mid American Bandwagon podcast. We've got our Twitter responses we we had i believe 27 responses so shout out to you guys for being so productive and at the end of this we'll reveal to you our kind of plans for the next uh twitter question which i think i'm pretty excited for i think you guys will be definitely excited for as well so here we go we got so what i decided to do we can't really talk about everybody's individual responses and whatnot so we we decided to group the people by the mascot they did so we've got every mascot that you guys decided to list so starting off for ball state we've got ethan nolan for the university of toledo uh rocky we've got rocket ryan toledo seahawks classic mcdavid scott woge and alex shear for toledo for western michigan bust of the bronco i believe this is the most is am i correct zach yeah, you you got it. People love people seem to love Buster and his uh his his faded eyes. <laughs> <laughs> We've got our own hustle belt creative director King James. We've got three hearted dad, Robert Murray, Matthew Daly, Glizzy McGuire, all for Buster the Bronco, repping the Western Michigan Pride. For Ohio or uh, Rufus the Bobcat, we've got Matthew Hupp, Kyle Parentheses Free Trial, Ryan Wright. And Brian Maxwell coming in at a solid second. Not bad for uh, love for Rufus the Bobcat. We've got two names for Kent State. We've got Ryan O'Donnell and Chris Hedchuck. Hopefully I said your name right. The Golden Flash is their mascot. We've got two for Northern Illinois. Their mascot is Mission. We've got Dave Drury and David Cruz. For Zippy, the Akron mascot, we've got Ian Ryan, Zach Corby, Danny Meeballs. Love your name, by the way. I am Topher for Eastern Michigan swoop. We've only got one name, Vansy uh, for Bowling Green. We've got two names, J. Michael Wherley 
and Alex Shank repping for Freddy the Falcon. And then we've only got one name for Buffalo, uh, Adam. He's for the Victory E-Bull. So we went through that list, and now we're going to kind of tell you our favorite mascots. Zach, I'll let you start first. Well, I have a couple thoughts here. I think, first of all, in my book, you always get extra points for having a live mascot, which uh, I believe Northern Illinois here is the only one uh, that, that qualifies there. So uh, Northern Illinois gets some extra points there for me. I think for me personally, when I'm looking for a good mascot, I'm looking for something that's, that's unique that nobody else has. That's why I love Zippy the Zip there at Akron, the, the kangaroo. Uh, it's a unique mascot. Nobody else. There's only one other Division I school that has a, a, a mascot that's a kangaroo, and it's University of Missouri, Kansas City. They don't even have a football team. They're just a you know, basketball school. But uh, I love Zippy the Zip. I think it's also pretty cool. 2008 – uh, Zippy the Zip was chosen as the uh, Capital One Bowl mascot of the year. So clearly people around the country recognize Zippy as being pretty cool and, and a unique mascot. I also got to give a shout out to Kyle Free Trial uh, for his picture that he tweeted us of, of Rufus the Bobcat from Ohio. Uh, a couple years back when Ohio played Ohio State in football, uh, I got a nice little photo here of, of Rufus uh, punching Brutus the Buckeye in the face and uh, as a Penn State fan and Penn State alum, that that makes me happy inside. So I think I got to give a shout out to to Rufus the Bobcat there. Also a shout out to Northern Illinois for having the live Husky. But if I'm going with one though, I think I got to go with Zippy the Zip at Akron just for for their uh, you know the, the uniqueness of it. Uh, for uh, those are solid picks. I think Zippy's definitely up there in my book. But I got to go with Northern Illinois and the mission and the mascot called Mission. He is a live dog. I mean, I was looking up pictures for these different mascots and like Mission's just a awesome dog. Like, I don't know what to say about it. Like, they, I believe they're on Mission 2 now because the uh, first one recently retired. So sorry, uh, sorry about that. It's always sad to see those uh, mascots retire like Butler's. I know they do that. But yeah, I think Northern Illinois Mission, their live mascot just takes it over the top for me. Yeah, that you can't you can't go wrong with picking a live mascot, especially when it's a, a dog like that. I also got to give a shout out to Buster the Bronco at, at Western Michigan. So I, I I never realized this until we we posed this question and got some some images and, and gifts in the in the responses. But uh, I guess there's this whole whole mystique around Buster, faded Buster, drunk Buster, and I didn't understand what that meant. Then you look up a picture of uh, of Buster the Bronco, and yeah. You look at his face and his eyes. I mean, he looks like he's working his way through a 12-pack or something. So I, I certainly see where that comes from. That is funny. I like it. Buster the Bronco never changed, man. I love it. Um, I think so. He's probably up there in the top three or four for me. But, uh, yeah, if I'm going with one. I got to go with Zippy the Zip. I mean, he was probably working over that uh, after the uh, tailgate. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's exactly right. A lot, still, you know, it's tough life being a mascot sometimes. Yeah, it is. And for our final Twitter thing, uh, Hustle Belt tweeted uh, basically, what would your perfect Mount Toledo look like in reference to our Mount Toledo Rushmore draft we did with Rocket Ryan? You can check that out on Anchor on every platform. We posted that as our sort of bonus episode. Remember, there will not be a Mount, or there will be not, there will not be a Mount Rushmore. I can't talk uh, this week, but next week, I believe we are uh, working on something in the future for next week. So be sure to look out for that. And so we got a couple of responses. We have two. 
So one from Scott Woj. I'm not going to say your full name because I'm going to butcher it. We got Steve Mix, Bruce Gardkowski, Bob Nichols, Greg. I'm going to go with Woj again. And then Chuck Ely. What is your reaction to that? I, I think, um, you know, I, I think that's a good, I think that's a good five. Um, you know, a lot of all, all names that we had. Uh, yeah. So as far as Scott Woj goes, yeah. I mean, I think those are all really solid names. Uh, only one that we didn't have on our list list there was Greg uh, Wojciechowski. But I think uh, other than that, I think you got, you got great, uh, you got great lists here. Greg Wojciechowski, obviously uh, from the wrestling mat there, uh, who certainly, you know, had a great career in pro wrestling. If you look him up, uh, kind of a, a cool character, but um, I think, yeah, for me, I think, I don't think he would kind of raise to the level of, of getting onto my list, but I think he certainly is a cool person and kind of a cool figure in Toledo sports history. I mean, yeah, he, he definitely could be considered for the uh, Mount Rushmore Hall of Fame. Uh, I uh, personally, I just didn't pick it. Like, I just thought the other ones I picked kind of rose above the list. Like Dana Shaw, I picked because she was in the uh, Indiana Basketball Hall of Fame. So like, he definitely deserves to be like a like a um, alternate, if not on the list. But I just felt like her list. But this is again, this is just our opinions. And then we've got Vanzi who said Chuck Ely, Chester Taylor, Bob Nichols, and probably Trisha Colop. What is your reaction to that list? We I believe we didn't have one of those on our list. Yeah, we didn't have Chester Taylor on our list, but he's definitely somebody that I think we might have overlooked and, and should have been should have included. I mean, you talk about a guy that spent many, many years uh, in the NFL, but even what he did at Toledo, I mean, his, you know, sophomore through his senior season, three straight years of over a thousand yards rushing, uh, his junior year and his senior year, both, both years had over 1400 yards, 4,646 rushing yards, total in his career at Toledo, along with 55 rushing touchdowns. Um, He also had 500 receiving yards and five touchdowns receiving. So he definitely uh, is a all-time great at Toledo. And I think looking at this again, you could definitely convince me that that Chester Taylor deserves to be on Mount Rushmore, definitely. Yeah, I I agree with you. I think we just overlooked him. Like 4,000 rushing yards, Toledo's all-time rushing leader, I mean, I I went for the Hall of Famer just because he's in the Hall of Fame, simply. Like, yeah. I, I definitely could have picked Chester Taylor here. He's a solid addition. A MAC championship, two West division titles, 33 and four, 13 in his four seasons at Toledo. A uh, NFL draft pick. I mean, yeah, he definitely deserves to be on that list. And I think that's going to wrap it up for this Twitter segment. Now to move on to kind of the interesting – and actually, hey, Sam, can I, can I may mention one more name here that got Yeah, mentioned? you can. Go ahead. Yeah, so there was another name uh, that was given to us by Greg Thomas in his response. He said that Washon Tate has to be on this list. And Washon Tate was not a name that I had heard or had ever remembered hearing. So I looked him up. Uh, Washon Tate, now, the caveat to Washon Tate and probably the only thing that would maybe hold him back from being on the list for me is that he really only had one great season at Toledo, which was 1995 in his junior year. But that season was a season for the record books. 
where he had he ran for the most yards in a single season in Mac history. He rushed for 2,090 yards that year and 24 touchdowns, led them to an 11-0-1 record. He had uh, four touchdowns and 184 five yards rushing in Toledo's bowl win that year against Nevada. He was uh, second-team All-American that year uh, by the UPI and third-team All-American by the AP and was named the MAC Player of the Year. Um, he was considered to be you know, a first- or second-round NFL draft pick, but then his senior year the next year, 1996, um, he had a devastating knee injury, sidelined him for two seasons. Um, so that one season there, unfortunately, you know, the, the knee injury kind of prohibited him from, from really having a full career at Toledo or from ever going to the pros and doing anything. But for that one season, man, 2,090 yards rushing and 24 yards, uh, excuse me, 24 touchdowns in one season. That's a heck of a year. And I think, um, you know, if he could have prolonged that a little bit, I think he would definitely be on this list. As it is now, though, he definitely, at least in my mind, deserves an honorable mention. Yeah, he deserves to be an honorable mention. But, like, back on, we talked about the Central Michigan. I mean, I see a, a um, I feel like you have to have at least two or three solid seasons to be Agreed. considered. You're definitely an honorable mention. 2,000 rushing yards and so many touchdowns is definitely nothing to slouch at. And I, he deserves to be mentioned. I just don't necessarily know if you put him on that Mount Rushmore necessarily. He's definitely an honorable mention. I agree with you there, but I, I just, I would just disagree that he deserves to be on the Mount Rushmore. Yeah, I think we're on the same page there. So Zach, is there any final thoughts you had? No, I, I don't think so. I think I, I still think we, us and and Rocket Ryan, I think we had strong lists, and I think the. The, the listeners really came with some strong, uh, some strong names in the, in the comments that we didn't talk about. So all in all, I think that was awesome. We love the interaction that we've got from you guys. The response on it has been great on the Mount Rushmore's and we're looking forward to doing more of them. Yeah. And uh, yeah. And I think that's going to wrap it up for this Twitter section. And again, as I was, I was mentioning briefly, what we wanted to do this Thursday, kind of do a, since we did the, who's your favorite mascot, we wanted to do this uh, like, into next episode start a kind of tournament sorry a bracket if you will of the best mascot um best uh action mascot if you will so basically what will happen i already generate a list since central michigan doesn't have a mascot and there's only 11 that kind of screws it up so the number one pick which i will let you guys know on twitter will get a first round buy basically and then every week we'll cover a round essentially so be on the lookout for that. Make sure you vote on the polls. I'll start a thread underneath the Twitter question, so be sure to vote there. Let us know who wins each matchup and why. Yeah, is there anything else you wanted to add to that, Zach? No, I'm good. I, I look look forward to seeing the bracket come out later this week. Okay, yep, and I think that's going to wrap it up. For this, uh, this segment, we're going to move on to the segment three uh, where we each – pick an ideal non-conference matchup for each Mac school. Yeah, I think this is cool. And I think it's really pertinent, especially um, with all the news that's coming out around the country lately of, of different schedules, modified schedules. The Mac look like this looks like it's going to come uh, out here and, and announce that each conference member is going to get one non-conference game. So given that there's only going to be one non-conference game this year, Sam and I got together and said, you know, if we had to only pick one team, one school for each MAC team to play uh, in a non-conference football game, who would that be? That could be based on geography. It could be based on history. It could be based on really anything. 
uh, you know, some other type of connection between the two institutions. So I'm excited to see uh, who you came up with, Sam, and I'm excited to share my picks as well. So we're going to go in alphabetical order. We're each going to give our uh, ideal non-conference mashup, and we're going to kind of break down a short, since we've got 12 names to go through, kind of why we picked each one. I'll let you go first, Zach, with uh, Akron's non-conference mashup. Sure. Yeah. So for most of the schools here, I went with, a, you know, a really high profile team or something that would really put a lot of eyeballs on the program. With Akron, though, I took a little bit of a different approach. So my ideal non-conference uh, matchup for Akron would be Youngstown State. A uh, couple couple different reasons for that. So this is a, a traditional rivalry. These schools are only 48 miles apart in northeastern Ohio. Um, they have played 35 times. Uh, at all time. They played every year from 1967 to 1995. Youngstown State actually does hold an edge in the series. Um, they lead 19 to 14, and then there was two ties. But um, the other reason, you know, obviously this is a traditional rivalry. It's a geographical rivalry for Akron. But also another thing is, is that for a, a program that's really struggling right now that really needs wins, this is a winnable game. You know, Youngstown State's a good FCS school, but if you're in the MAC, if you're a division, you know, if you're an FBS team, you should be able to handle a game like that. So I think just because of the geographical location, because of the historical rivalry where they played every year from the, you know, from the 60s into the 90s, um, and then on top of that, the fact that it's a winnable game that can give the Zips some momentum and, and something to feel good about to hang a, a W on the scoreboard after going 0-12 last year. I just think it makes sense from a lot of perspectives for Akron and Youngstown State to play. That, that's not a bad pick. I went for a kind of different approach. I looked at the ge- 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 uh, geography, I can't pronounce geography for some reason, and I saw Ohio's really close to your state in um, Pennsylvania. So I was like, Akron at Pittsburgh, you're, you may not get Clemson this year, but hey, why not get another ACC opponent who's not bad at Pittsburgh went eight and five last year, four and four in conference. You may lose Clemson, but you get a slightly uh, worse opponent, but still a high profile name. It's close. And it's a, a, it's a lot, it's a more winnable game. I'm not saying they would have won. They will win against Pittsburgh, but it's just a more winnable name. Definitely. And actually Akron, came in the Heinz field and did beat Pitt back. I, th- I want to say it was 2016, I think, when Terry Bowden was still there, when Akron's program was still in a little bit of a better place. They went to a bowl game that year, I believe. So there is some history there, and, and Akron has had some sec- success against the Panthers in the past. So I agree with you, Sam. That, that's a good pick. Second name on the list. We've got Ball State. You've kind of got an interesting one in for Ball State's non-conference opponent. Yeah, yeah. So for this one here, I took a little bit of a different approach. So for me, I went with San Diego State for for Ball State's opponent here. And this is really only one reason, and it's because of the Brady Hope connection. So anyone that's been following the MAC for the last 10 years, uh, well, I guess it's been more than 10 years now. We'll say last 15 years remembers when Brady Hope was the head coach at Ball State, which actually, which is his alma mater. Um, he graduated from Ball State back in the uh, the late 70s. Brady Hope was the, was the coach there uh, from 2003 to 2008 at his alma mater, uh, led the Cardinals to a 34 and 38 overall record in 27 and 20 in the MAC. That record might not sound that impressive, but anyone that was paying attention back then remembers 2008 when he gave Ball State the greatest season in school history. The Cardinals went 12 and 0, and unfortunately they lost to uh, Buffalo in the MAC championship game that year. But 
Uh, Brady Hoke parlayed that success into the head coaching position at, you guessed it, San Diego State. He spent two years at San Diego State, and after having two good years there, turned that into the head coaching job at Michigan. Uh, We all remember that it didn't work out for him there. He spent the last couple years bouncing around uh, the football world. Uh, He was the defensive coordinator at Oregon and then at Tennessee, and then he went to coach the Carolina Panthers in the NFL. And then last year he ended up back at San Diego State as the defensive coordinator. Rocky Long, the longtime coach, retired. Brady Hope was uh, promoted back to the head man at San Diego State. So I just think it's a cool connection there uh, between the two programs and Brady Hoke kind of, you know, uh, connecting the two. They've never played, so I think it would be a cool, interesting matchup for both teams. Uh, I just think, you know, someone different for the Cardinals. Not very often that they go out west and, um, you know, they got a a fellow Cardinal there um, at the helm for, for the Aztecs. So I went with San Diego State for Ball State. I mean, I would definitely love to be Brady Hoke. T- t- tell him why <laughs> he shouldn't have ever left in the first place. But yeah. So for mine, I I chose IU. I would have chosen Notre Dame, but I have them for another team. So I'll keep that uh, a seeker for the time being. For a simple uh, one, it would have been a great matchup that would have been played this season if not for the Big Ten going to a strictly conference schedule. We're only two hours away, roughly. Simply uh, close. And last season, we played them at Lucas Oil. Only lost by 10. I was kind of – I would have thought we had a chance to win this season, like, or at least keep it close. So, I think this would have been a good matchup for Ball State. I agree with that. And actually, 2008, uh, when Ball State went undefeated, uh, they actually did go into Bloomington and beat Indiana that year with Brady Hope at the helm. So, there's some history there as well. And I agree with you, Sam. I think if they would have played this year, Ball State would have had a chance to knock them off. Next up, we got the third name in our list. We've got Bowling Green. Yeah, so uh, Bowling Green here, I I went with a similar uh, approach that I took with with Ball State. So for Bowling Green, I'm going with West Virginia. And similar to how Ball State and San Diego State have the Brady Hoke connection, Bowling Green and West Virginia have the Don Nalen connection. So Bowling Green – uh, or I, I should say Don Nalen is an alum of Bowling Green. He was quarterback for the Falcons from 1955 to 1957. And then he was their head coach from 1968 to 1976. Uh, and during that time, he was 53, 35, and 4 at Bowling Green. He parlayed that success into the head coaching job at West Virginia. He did have a stop in between there um, as an assistant coach at Michigan, but he became the head coach at West Virginia in 1980. He was their coach for 20 years after, uh, until he retired in 2000, and he is the all-time winningest coach in the history of uh, Mountaineers football. He won 149 games there over his 20 years. Uh, they've met three times. Uh, the last one was in 2011. Bowling Green has not won any of those matchups, um, and I don't think they would have done it this year either. I think the Falcons obviously in a little bit of a rebuilding mode right now, but uh, the Don Nalen connection there uh, strung between both those universities is what kind of led me to choose uh, the Falcons to travel down to uh, Morgantown and play the Mountaineers. So for my pick, I went with a – I went with another Big Ten school in Illinois just for the simple fact Illinois is not the best Big Ten opponent you can play. Again, as you mentioned, Bowling Green's kind of rebuilding. But it's just to get your name out there a little bit. Um, maybe they wouldn't have won, like you said, like against West Virginia. I don't think they would have won against Illinois. But I think it would have been an interesting matchup. Head into uh, Champaign, I believe, is where they are from. 
it's it's not too far back. I looked it up. It's about a five-hour drive from there. So it's relatively close, and I just think it would have been a fun matchup to watch another Mac school playing a Big Ten school. Now we move on to our fourth name. We've got Buffalo coming from New York. Yeah, so for that one there, I, I went with uh, – I went with kind of a, a geographical one here. I'm going with uh, the Syracuse Orange. These are the only two Division One football teams in the state of New York. Buffalo uh, obviously has only been Division One since the mid-'90s. Uh, but even still, I mean, 25 years in Division One for Buffalo, and they've only played Syracuse four times in that span. Um, Syracuse is 4-0 in those games. But I just think geographically – uh, they're about 145 miles apart. It's about a two-hour, two-and-a-half-hour drive straight shot on I-90 from Buffalo to Syracuse. Um, a lot of, I think, you know, in that area, in that region of New York, there's a lot of fans of both teams. I think both schools would love it if if this developed into a little bit of a more of a rivalry. I think especially with Buffalo having really kind of solidified their program under Lance Leopold over the, these last few years, I think Buffalo – have given the opportunity to play Syracuse. I'm not saying that they would win the game, but I think they could definitely hang with them with some of the talent that they have. So really just geographically, uh, the fact that they're the only two Division I football schools in the state of New York, or FBS schools in the state of New York, I should say. Uh, and I just think it makes too much sense for them not to play. I think it would be awesome if this is one of those things where it developed into like a yearly game where Buffalo and Syracuse played each other. I think it could develop into a cool little rivalry. Yeah, I agree with you there. I think that's a solid pick. Geographically makes sense. Uh, they're from the same area. Uh, Buffalo traveling to a Big Ten school, another Mac school playing a uh, – not Big Ten, ACC school. My bad. But, yeah, I think that it would be a cool little rivalry from the same state in New York. I think that would be a cool thing yearly if, if, if it ever did turn into something. Now, for Buffalo, I chose Notre Dame not because of geographic, just because I believe they're one of the few teams – in this Mac school that has a chance to beat Notre Dame. They probably have the best chance. I'm not saying they will. I'm not saying they will by any means. I'm not saying Buffalo will head into South Bend and beat them by any means. But I think they're one of the best – they're one of the uh, better teams in the Mac to hang with Notre Dame. I think it would be a competitive game. Jared Patterson trying to run all over that stingy Notre Dame defense. I think it would be a fun game to watch. I definitely agree. And, and if you think about historically, you know, kind of a, a recipe for a Mac team to go beat, uh, you know, a bigger school is, is really is what Buffalo is built for. And just in terms of really being able to pound the ball and control the ball and control the clock and bleed the clock and really hang on to the ball and sustain long drives. I mean, when you got uh, Jared Patterson and Kevin Marks in the backfield, 2000 yard rushers, obviously both of them, uh, are on the Doak Walker award list uh, in terms of uh, best running back in America. So I think there's a lot of talent there on Buffalo. I think they, if you look at their roster, they do have the most talent of anyone in the league. And I agree with you, Sam. I think if there's anyone, if there was any school in the MAC that this year was going to be able to pull off an upset, I think it would be Buffalo. Yeah, I, I think so as well. And now we're going to move on to the C's. I believe this is our fifth one, two, Three, four, fifth. Yep, with Central Michigan. Who's your Central Michigan pick, Zach? Sure. So for Central Michigan, for me, I'm going with uh, Michigan State, uh, traditional in-state rival. I also picked this as a uh, as an ode to the 29-27 upset victory that Central Michigan pulled off uh, against Michigan State back in 2009 in East Lansing. 
uh, Dan Lefevre and Antonio Brown, who we talked about on our Mount uh, Rushmore of Central Michigan a couple weeks ago, both had great games that day. Dan Lefevre was 33 for 46, 328 yards and three touchdowns. Antonio Brown, 10 catches for 71 yards and a touchdown. Um, a cool thing about this game, if, if you didn't watch this game or if you don't remember how this game ended, I would encourage you to go on YouTube and see uh, and watch the ending of this game. So uh, Michigan, or I'm sorry, Central Michigan was down 27 to 20 and they had the ball. Um, they scored a touchdown with 31 seconds left and they went for two and the win and they missed. They didn't get it. So they were down 27-26 with 30 se- 31 seconds left. They ran an onside kick and they recovered it and then drove down and kicked a 42-yard field goal as time expired to win 29-27. So really a crazy ending to that game. Um, but this is just kind of, again, a traditional Michigan rivalry. I think anytime one of the Michigan Mac schools has the opportunity to go to East Lansing or Ann Arbor, they relish that opportunity. And um, I just, this is a, a matchup that I wish would happen more often. Um, so I'm going with uh, Michigan State for Central Michigan. Yeah, I agree with you. Makes sense again, like the Buffalo things close by the upset, as you said, brings that historic approach to it. And yeah, it, it makes sense. For mine, I went with a little bit of a different approach for Central Michigan. I went with Liberty. Uh, first of all, they're, uh, they have a relatively new coach with Hugh Freeze. They went 8-5 and five last year. This is a relatively decent opponent that Central Michigan could potentially beat. Uh, I didn't really have much reason to it. I just didn't want to use all the Power 5 schools, so I went with something different with Liberty. Yeah, that's cool. I think it's always interesting. I always like it when, when mid-major schools schedule other mid-major schools, especially people in you know different areas of the country. That's what I think like if we would have gotten to see them this year, games like Toledo, San Diego State or, or Ball State and Wyoming, stuff like that. I think those types of matchups are always pretty cool. Think about, you know, the last couple of years, you know, Ohio played, you know, Louisiana Lafayette and Texas State, and there's been some other examples of that. I think Central Michigan and, and Liberty is another example of that. I also think you know, if it's something where these two schools were to do like a home and home or something like that, I think that would be two competitive games, uh, you know, given the, the status of both programs. So I think that's a good pick there, Sam. We're moving on to the ease with Eastern Michigan. Who do you have, Zach? Yeah, so I'm going with geography again here. So for Eastern Michigan, I'm going with the Wolverines. Um, Eastern Michigan and Michigan are only, their campuses are only 11 miles apart. And so for me, it just, it makes too much sense for them not to play. Um, They've only played, despite the fact that they are only 11 miles apart, and despite the fact that both of them have been playing football for over 100 years, they've only played 10 times in their entire history. They didn't play a single time from 1931 to 1998. Um, I don't think it will be it will surprise anyone for to hear me say that Eastern Michigan has never beaten Michigan. The closest they ever got was 2007 where they went into Ann Arbor and only lost 33 to 32. But again, just because they're 11 miles apart, I think if you're, if you're Michigan and you're looking for a bye game in the non-conference every year, I don't know why you wouldn't just go down the street and schedule the, the Eagles. Um, I just think it makes a lot of sense. So again, the fact that they're so close, also the fact that I think that, you know, Eastern Michigan has improved as a program here over the last few years under Chris Creighton. I'm not saying that they would be super competitive with Michigan at this point. I still think the Wolverines have way too much talent, but I think, you know, Eastern Michigan go in there and and hold their own. I I like that pick, especially since Eastern Michigan's pulled a few upsets over the 
So it's definitely a interesting matchup. I'd love to see. I went with a different approach once again. If if you ever get to know me, you know I hate UCF. I'm a person who despises their fans who think they're so arrogant. But that's that's a different podcast for a different time. And I went with Eastern Michigan playing UCF just for the fact that Eastern Michigan is so prone to uh, pulling upsets, and I feel like they could beat UCF and their arrogant fans and send them back to Central Florida. Also, not a bad group of five mashup. So, yeah, that's why I picked the UCF. Yeah, if there's anyone out there that thinks about, you know, taking Eastern Con- Eastern Michigan lightly in the non-conference, just, just ask Purdue and uh, Illinois how that worked out for them over the last few years because uh, Eastern Michigan, like you said, Sam, they, they have been known to, to go into some Power 5 stadiums and, and come out with victorious. And now we've got Dustin Crum in the – Golden Flashes. Yeah, so uh, this is another one here uh, going a little outside of the box here. For Kent State, I'm going with Washington, the Huskies. Um, no meetings, uh, no prior meetings between these two schools. Uh, in the, you know, obviously Washington being in the Pac-12 out in Seattle. Um, I went with this, though, because of the Don James connection. So Don James uh, was the head coach at Kent State from 1971 to 1974 and actually oversaw a, a short little run of pretty pretty good success for him there. During that time, while he was at Kent during those three years, uh, on those teams he had uh, future NFL Hall of Famer and Steelers legend Jack Lambert. He also had Nick Saban on that team as, an, as a defensive back and Gary Pinkle, uh, who we talked about last week on our um, Toledo Mount Rushmore with Rocket Ryan. So all three of those guys were on those teams from 1971 to 1974. But so anyway, uh, Don James took those successful years and, and used those to earn himself a promotion, uh, got the, the Washington head coach job in 1975. He was their head coach for uh, 18 years before he retired in 1993, and that included a national championship in 1991 that uh, that they shared with, I believe, uh, Georgia Tech, if I'm not mistaken. It was a shared national championship in 1991. It was either shared with Georgia Tech or Colorado. I can't remember which one. But anyway, they did win a national championship. So um, there's really – there's no connection between the two schools outside of Don James. But because of Don James' connection, I went with with the Huskies. It's a little bit of a travel, but if Kent State's willing to do it, I'm willing to watch it at the end of the day. It would be it would be a cool matchup to see Kent State travel from Ohio to Washington and play the Huskies. It would be a good matchup, I think. Definitely one to watch for. Now, what, one I went for is the University of North Carolina Tar Heels. And we, we've we seen, if you've been watching college football, kind of Mac Brown turn this program around from what it was to kind of a contender in the ACC. They almost beat Clemson last year. I think this would be a excellent matchup to kind of see Dustin Crumb play North Carolina. I know North Carolina's got a, a couple five stars coming in this year. I think it would be really exciting to see Dustin Crumb and that offense against North Carolina. I think that game would be electric to watch because you got Dustin Crumb on one side and then on the other side for North Carolina, you have Sam Howell, who was a true freshman last year. And I, I believe he was freshman of the year in ACC, if I'm not mistaken. Who, um, not many freshman quarterbacks come in and have an impact on a team like Sam Howell did in North Carolina. So I agree with you, Sam, in the sense that I think that game, there'd be a lot of points scored in that game. I think it would be back and forth and a lot of fun to watch. Now we move back to we, – we stay in Ohio for Miami of Ohio. Yeah, so I was doing some research for this pick here, 
Um, I actually, this is one of the few, actually the only one, I, I should say one of two uh, traditional rivalries I picked here. So I'm going with um, Cincinnati for, for Miami. They, they compete for uh, the Victory Bell Trophy. How about this? I didn't realize this, Sam, but Miami and Cincinnati have played each other for the Victory Bell 124 times. There is only one rivalry in college football that has been played more times than that, and it's Wisconsin and Minnesota who have, been, who have played 129 times. But when, it, when you get past that one, um, there's Miami, uh, Cincinnati have played 124 times, Georgia and Auburn have played 124 times, and North Carolina and Virginia have played 124 times. So, I mean, you want to talk about a storied rivalry. These two teams have played every single year since 1945. They've never – there's never been a year where they didn't play. Obviously, that um, might get broken this year uh, because Miami is going to be playing Pitt in their non-conference game. So it'll be interesting to see. I don't, I, I don't think they're going to be able to work that out, unfortunately. But anyway, um, yeah, it's the oldest current non-conference rivalry in America. And actually, how about this? In 124 meetings, the current matchup, the, the, the record, uh, 59, 58, and seven ties. So you want to talk about even matchup. Um, historically, it's been really competitive. Now, Recently, that hasn't quite been the story. Cincinnati has won the last 14 games against Miami of Ohio. But um, I, I would love to see, obviously, I don't think it's going to happen this year, but I'd love to see after this season, this game continue to pick back up. And, you know, I, I don't see any reason why they won't continue to play each other. Yeah, that I did not realize that was such a rivalry. Like, I, I when you think of the rivalries, you think of uh, – Michigan versus Ohio State, Penn State versus Ohio State, and et cetera, et cetera. I just didn't realize that Miami, Ohio, and Cincinnati had that deep of a beef, if you want to call it. But, yeah, they as long as they keep playing, I'll keep watching. I think – isn't Luke Fickle the coach now? Fickle is still the coach there at Cincinnati. Yeah, he's really – I mean, he's taking that program. You know, a couple of years ago, they were winning two, three games a year when they had Tommy Tuberville there. And uh, since he's been in there, he's really, really turned them around and gotten them back to where they were – uh, you think about back, you know, 10, 12 years ago when Brian Kelly was their coach and they were always in the top 25. I think Luke Fickle's got him back on that track. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I agree. From one uh, group of five matchup to another, I've got Miami, Ohio, Boise State. Not much of a reason other than I liked uh, watching uh, games on Boise State's field is cool with that blue turf. <laughs> I think Miami, Ohio could kind of keep up with a, with a um, Mountain West contender that Boise State is from one MAC championship or from one champ one conference champion to another. I think this would be a fun mashup to watch. Yeah, I agree. It's always fun watching games on the blue turf out there in, uh, in Boise. And, and Boise does have a history of, of, of playing some Mac schools as well. I don't recall them ever playing the Red Hawks, but I do think that would be an interesting matchup to watch. Similar to, to what we talked about earlier with, um, you know, you know, Mac schools scheduling other group of five schools in other areas of the country, like you mentioned with Liberty or with Ball State and Wyoming. I think it would be another cool matchup to see that, that you know, I always love it, love it when teams play someone different. And this certainly falls into that category. Now we move from Ohio to Illinois to uh, Northern Illinois. Yeah. So for me here, uh, for Northern Illinois, I'm going with Bama. I'm going with Alabama. Uh, this is an ode, much to how I, I pick Michigan State for Central Michigan, um, this is an ode to Northern Illinois' 1916 upset over the Crimson Tide back in 2003. Now, for anyone who didn't pay attention to college football back then, 2003 Alabama 
was very different from 2020 Alabama. This was not Nick Saban's Alabama team that had won, you know, six or, you know, four national championships or however many it is now. I lose track. There's too many. Um, but they were still ranked 21st at the time of that game. Alabama was. Um, Michael Turner, who spent some time in the NFL, for the, uh, had 156 yards rushing uh, for the Huskies that day. And that, that Bama roster, even though they weren't quite to the level of what we know Bama is today, there was still a lot of NFL talent on that roster. You had uh, linebacker D'Amico Ryans, uh, cornerback Anthony Madison, uh, Roman Harper at free safety, and then Brody Croyle was their quarterback. He spent some time in the NFL as a backup as well. So um, Northern Illinois is literally, I mean, they're undefeated against Bama. They are 1-0 all-time against Bama. I think they want them again. I'd love to see the Huskies play the Crimson Tide. I mean, I think everybody wants Bama. This yeah. <laughs> I remember watching Michael Turner in the NFL. He was fun to watch on the Falcons. Yeah. And yeah. I, I actually had Northwestern just because of the kind of uh, ge- geography. Can't say geography today. It's only about an hour and a half matchup. Not too far away. I mean, it's another Big Ten school, so more attention. And Northwestern hasn't been the greatest when you look at um, – past years they're not one of the um, contenders in the Big Ten so I definitely think Northern Illinois has a chance in this matchup even though kind of Northern Illinois is kind of in a rebuilding year with Thomas Hammock yeah I think that's a uh, I think that's a great pick Sam Um, I know Northern Illinois and and Northwestern have played many times over the years they're so close together it makes sense they compete for a lot of the same recruits even so I think uh, yeah that's a game that I wish would happen more often we move back to Ohio for the University of Ohio Bobcats. Who do you have, Zach? Yeah, so this one here, I went with another traditional rivalry matchup for Ohio. I'm going with Marshall, the Thundering Herd. Uh, Ohio being down there in southeast Ohio, only about 80 miles from uh, Marshall's campus, which is down in Huntington, West Virginia. Uh, these two teams compete for the Battle of the Bell rivalry. Um, they've played 60 times uh, in their history. Ohio does lead the series 33 to 21, and there are six ties. Um, they they um, were actually supposed to play this year. It doesn't look like that game is going to happen. But they, you know, they um, were obviously conference opponents for for a couple years back in the late 90s, early 2000s, whenever Marshall was a part of the MAC before they left for Conference USA. But this is another game here, just geographically, traditionally. I would love to see it happen every year. Last year, Ohio went down to Huntington and. Um, almost beat the Thundering Herd. Marshall ended up winning that game by two. They were going to get their return trip in Athens this year. Unfortunately, it doesn't look like that's going to happen. But again, I would just love to see uh, these two teams play every year. Yeah, I think that would be fun to watch. I I love the story of the We Are Marshall movie, one of my favorite movies. So, like, that would be fun to watch. I had – I had Kentucky just for the simple fact. I think I think it's fun when Mac schools go down to play SEC schools, like you talked about with Alabama and the Northern Illinois kind of upset. This is kind of a more this is not an Alabama level type school in Kentucky who just aren't as good. So maybe Ohio wouldn't beat them, but I think it would be a better matchup than necessarily getting blown out by Alabama. I, I agree with that, and it's also you know if you look at. Um, if you look at, you know, geographically, it's also not all that far from, uh, from Athens to, uh, to Lexington. So I think, you know, geographically, it makes sense. Now uh, you're looking at about a, you know, a three hour drive to, to Lexington from Athens. So for anyone, you know, Bobcat fans that want to make that trip, it wouldn't be that bad of a trip for them. 
And I also think, like you said, that's a, you know, a somewhat winnable game uh, for, for the Bobcats. And now for kind of rounding out our bottom, we've got the uh, Toledo and Western Michigan. First, we got to start with Toledo. Who do you have, Zach? Yeah, I got to give a shout out to Rocket Ryan on this one. He, he mentioned on our uh, Mount Rushmore last week of uh, he so kindly reminded me of, of when Toledo went to Happy Valley and knocked off my Nittany Lions uh, back in 2000. So I'm going with Penn State for Toledo. I'd, I'd love to see us uh, get another crack at them. Um, I, you know, I looked up that game whenever I was doing my research here. Not only did Toledo win that game, but I mean, you want to talk about a MAC team dominating a Power Five team? Twenty-four to six is the final score. Toledo uh, twenty-five to nine advantage in first downs, and they outgained Penn State that day, three hundred eighty-five to one sixty-six. I mean, you want to talk about complete domination. Penn State didn't even get 200 yards of total offense. I think uh, Toledo, I I would love to see him play Penn State again. I think as a Penn State fan, I always love it. You know, I understand the need to schedule, uh, you know, a group of five teams. Whenever we do it, though, I'd like it to be competitive teams that are are, are good within their conference. And I think Toledo certainly fits that bill. They're at the top of the MAC every single year. They never played since then they never played before then I'd love to see us pick up another couple games with the Rockets yeah I think that would be fun to watch again a Big Ten school playing Max will always love it when you think of Jason Candle really I think Toledo fans are kind of get irritated at him a little bit maybe not wanting him as the head coach probably in the future so he needs a bounce back year and I think a big Penn State win could definitely do that and so I went with another Big Ten school I went with Nebraska this time just for the simple fact, I'm not a big believer in Scott Frost and what he's done in Nebraska since leaving UCF, another connection to my hate for um, UCF. <laughs> but I think I think Toledo could sneak out a win in Nebraska. You've got Jason Candle, who, as I mentioned before, kind of needs a big win and big year for Toledo to keep to potentially keep his job. I think a win down in Lincoln could definitely help him. Yeah, I think it's certainly – the, the turnaround in Lincoln has been slower than everyone expected for Scott Frost whenever uh, he, he took that job. I think everyone expected him to have them back in a bowl game within his first year. Um, I also think I agree with you in terms of this being a winnable game for the Rockets. I think Nebraska is another, you know, I think they have another somewhat lean season in store this year. They might make it to a bowl game, but I don't think they're going to be anywhere near the top of the big 10. And I think uh, Toledo uh, would could certainly go in there and have a chance to win that game and, and give Jason Candle a big victory that he's looking for. Yes, sir. And we're going to wrap up this segment with Western Michigan. You've got another Big Ten guy. I've got a Big 12 opponent. Yeah, so for, for Western Michigan here, uh, I'm going with the P.J. Fleck Bowl. I'm going with Minnesota. Um, obviously, everyone remembers the, the 2016 season that Western Michigan had when they went 13-0 and and won the MAC and went to the Cotton Bowl. Uh, P.J. Fleck, that was his last year as a head coach at Western Michigan uh, before he took the head job at Minnesota, where he's really turned them around and, and built them into a top 15 team. I think it would be cool uh, for the Broncos to go into to the Twin Cities and compete against their old coach. Um, I still marvel at the job that P.J. Fleck did at Western Michigan, going from 1-11 in his first year to 13-1 and in his fourth year. And obviously he's continued to, to prove his worth as a head coach um, since he's gotten to Minnesota, obviously, you know, they were 11 and two last year and beat Auburn in the Outback Bowl. 
they've only ever played four times. Western Michigan has never beaten Minnesota. I don't know that they would beat them this year, although uh, they would certainly have a better chance now after uh, wide receiver, uh, star wide receiver for Minnesota, Rashad Bateman, opted out of the season yesterday. Uh, so it's certainly – I'm not saying they'd win the game, but I think they, they would have a chance to, um, to go in there and, and put some points on the board and compete with them. I think it would be a cool matchup to see. I'd love to see the Broncos get a chance to, to, to take down their old coach. Yeah, that would be fun to watch. I remember watching P.J. Fleck last year. Uh, towards the end of the season, they had uh, – t- if Minnesota would have won out against Penn State and whatnot, would have potentially been in the college football playoff uh, conversation – didn't end up happening, but he's definitely turned that program around. It was amazing to watch what he did at Western Michigan turning that program around, and he's done an excellent job in Minnesota. Definitely a game to watch. And I've kind of rounded out with a uh, game traveling to the Big 12 and playing Kansas like Nebraska, kind of the same reasoning. Kansas is struggling under the new head coach, Les Miles, who was, if you guys remember, the uh, LSU head coach at one time. He, I believe he was an analyst before joining Kansas. I mean, that uh, like like the Nebraska thing, the kind of turnaround has been slow. Three and nine overall, one and eight in the Big 12. I think this is a winnable game. A high-profile name like Kansas brings a lot of attention. And I think Western Michigan could definitely bring out the win. Yeah, I, I agree with that, definitely. I think if you're looking at it, I mean, I certainly think that uh, Les Miles has Kansas trending in the right direction, but I don't think they're quite there yet. I still think they're a few years away from really uh, becoming a competitive team that that you might look at to to go to a bowl game. You also, you know, the Mac does have a little bit of a history of success against Kansas um, where, you know, two back in 2017 central Michigan went down to, uh, to, um, to Lawrence and, and knocked off the, the Jayhawks 45-27. And then the next week, Ohio did the same thing and beat them 42-30. to So there's a precedent there that a MAC team, you know, can go in there and win a game. So I wouldn't be surprised if, if Western Michigan did the same thing. Yeah, and I think that's going to wrap it up for this segment. Do you have any final thoughts on this segment, Zach? No, I don't think so. Um, I just only that I wish we would get to see some of these games in real life this year. Curious to hear everyone else's uh, comments, if, if anyone agrees or disagrees with any of those picks, or if there's any other cool matchups that you guys would like to see, tweet at us and let us know. We'd love to hear what you guys think. Yeah, definitely tweet us. We love your support. We want to keep you guys engaged, so be sure to tweet us. At, if you have any disagreements you want to see, can't say let's play Oklahoma instead of Washington or uh, UNC. Just let us know what you guys think. And, yeah, uh, we're going to head into the interview with our uh, eSports guru and Ethan Dolan. Welcome back to another segment in the Mid-American Bandwagon episode. Zach, how are you doing on this uh, fine after fine morning, I should say? Doing well, man. Doing well. It's, uh, you know, like we said last week, sports are slowly starting to come back. We got basketball, we got hockey, we got baseball. See how much longer baseball lasts. But yeah, I mean, you know, things are things are going well. So um, yeah, excited to 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 dive into this next segment here. Yeah, in this next segment, we got a special guest, Ethan Dawn. He doesn't have an official title, but we're gonna call him kind of the esports guru. Ethan, how are you doing? I am doing great today. I mean, you touched on baseball. Unfortunately, the Brewers refused to pitch Josh Hader, uh, dis- despite us having multiple run leads against the Sox. So. <laughs> Well, hey, you know what? what? Are you do? The, the the Pirates are two and eight, and <laughs> the lowest winning percentages in baseball history. So, 
um, I'm right there with you. <laughs> I, I just wish Indiana had a major league team. but <laughs> <laughs> So we brought Ethan on because we wanted to do something different and touch on esports basically because this is a big thing that's kind of been going on for a couple years, kind of gaining in popularity. So Ethan, as the Mac esports kind of guru, if you want to call it, can you give us a breakdown of kind of what's been going on these past few months, like with the Mac esports and all that? Yeah, so the Mac's actually set up a league that is not called the Mac, and it's for contractual agreements, I assume, allowing the payers to receive players, excuse me, to receive income through uh, alternate streams. There, so not like really like athletes in that sense, but it's just as much of a sport as anything else. So last year, actually, they ran a trial season of League of Legends. Coronavirus happened and got canceled the day before the conference championship, which did have Ball State playing Buffalo. Uh, it was it was shaping up to be a good one. But moving forward, uh, as you said, last past months, the groundwork is being laid. They are moving to a two-season system. So in the fall, we're going to have two games being played. In the spring, we're going to have two games being played. Confirmed for the fall right now is Rocket League. Uh, that's very exciting. We've got some talent in conferences. I assume we're going to talk about moving forward here. And the other game is unconfirmed. I believe they're between Madden, Fortnite, Smash Brothers, and FIFA right now. So some good options on the board. And then in the spring, they're going to have their big moneymaker esports. We've got Overwatch and we've got League of Legends sitting. So that's really all we know right now. Awesome. So given that there's, you know, different, different games within an esports season, and stuff of that nature and all these different teams competing. Could you give us maybe a breakdown of, of what a typical roster looks like for, for one of these schools? You know, how many, how many, you know, competitors are on a roster? Um, is it, is it broken down like certain guys are playing certain games or how, how does that work? Yeah, absolutely. So I think there's some important distinction to be made is that there's going to be clubs on these campuses that have their like gamers club. And that's a lot of kids. And then there's a small subsection that will then be walk on town, maybe a few scholarship kids that will actually play. Uh, And I would say it's probably rare for kids to span multiple sports. You know, it'd be like uh, a track star just suiting up and running point guard. Um, But for the most part, these clubs are very, very big. I know at Ball State personally, one that I'm involved with, in the neighborhood of two, 250 kids that are officially signed up on the Discord. So there's a lot of talent to draw from. Um, and as far as organizational structure goes, I think this is something you're going to have to watch throughout the season. Schools, because these are now varsity sports for everyone in the MAC, all these esports, is that they're starting to hire actual coordinators and coaches. Last year, that was the exception and not the rule. And I think by the end of this year, every school will have a dedicated coach, a dedicated director. Now, the question is, will they have a coach for each of the four esports? I don't think so, but I think the teams that do have dedicated coaches, you're going to see them perform a lot, a lot better. Okay. Okay. So I, I kind of want to switch gears a little bit. So how how basically is – I'm kind of curious because I don't know the in-depth of esports. So how does a Mac like college – how does esports become profitable for that college, basically? <laughs> Yeah, so on a big scale, talking about esports profitability, it's all about non-endemic marketing, which is a big fancy word that means products that aren't related to the market. So you look at professional League of Legends, the LCS is the North American variant. They've got a Kia sponsorship. They've got a Bud Light sponsorship. I mean, you can't you can't go about 10 minutes of the game without seeing a Bud Light logo flash on the screen, like Bud Light play of the game, Bud Light ace of the game. Uh, so those are the big money makers. And it's, it's kind of typical, right? it matches the strides of regular sports. You have attendance so it's all about drawing these viewers and then how can you capitalize off of them usually some form of sponsorship twitch does pay out uh, for the broadcast individually 
Uh, but ultimately, I think that within the first couple years, it's not going to be profitable for colleges, but it's something that they're doing to enrich the students, right? It makes more to do on campus, more to consume, more to be proud about. I mean, and you look at a school like Stanford, right? They cut uh, double-digit athletic programs because they weren't making money, but those sports are good things. I think we can all agree because you, you draw on these interesting students, these interesting stories, and you give more for the students to do on campus. Yeah, certainly. And you, you mentioned a couple minutes ago, Ethan, uh, scholarships. So do I understand that correctly? So are, 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 are schools actually able to give scholarships for esports now? Yes. Every school in the MAC, to my knowledge, has made it a varsity sport. So every school wow. can theoretically toss them. It's going to be up to each school's discretion. Like we said, this isn't going to be profitable, most likely in the first couple of years. So we'll see what they're really willing to do. But uh, that's that's something that's very, very exciting because right now uh, everything's just about 100% walk-on talent. So uh, I'm very interested to see where that goes, how much money, you know, what the dollar amount is going to look like compared to traditional athletics. But that's where this starts to get exciting. It gets very real. And so I wanted to touch on the MAC eSports level. So how is how how does the MAC eSports competition look like? Is there a clear top dog like uh, we were talking off air? You mentioned Akron. Is there is there a kind of drop off in talent, or is it kind of like kind of um, balanced, if you want to call it like the regular sports, like basketball and football? Yeah, so I think that uh, we got to be careful not to overgeneralize because each sport or each esport is so distinct, right? Each game is so distinct. Like I said, most people aren't playing two of the games, but uh, we can talk about the season that's coming up. We don't know what the second game will be, but. In Rocket League, there's a very, very clear drop-off. Uh, Akron is three-time National Rocket League champions in the CRL. Uh, there's, I, they played last night against Northwoods in the winner's finals of the Eastern Division. They're trying to make another run. They look absolutely unstoppable. Uh, I've seen a little bit of Kent State play Ohio and Miami this year uh, just because they were playing in similar leagues as well. But across the board, we really don't know much about a majority of these teams. I've seen Ball State play with my own two eyes. I saw one Western Michigan game. I've seen a handful of, like, Northern, Central, Bowling Green, between those three teams, one or two games. And we, I don't even know if those students are going to be back, right? That's part of the issue right now is that as a, as a viewer, as an analyst, I have no idea if these guys or girls are seniors, what year they are, if they're being coached. The information is so limited, and that's something that I'm looking forward to getting out here. But in Rocket League – um, I'm going to make a bold prediction and say no one is even losing to Akron by – Akron's beating everyone by four or more points in conference uh, wow. in Rocket League. I, wow. <laughs> they, they aren't traditionally front runners. Like last night in their game against Northwoods, they were winning by one points. They won by two points. Um, I think they will front run over every team. This I would take their B team, their JV essentially, uh, to win the conference. They are really that good. Wow. Okay. That's, yeah. uh, that's a serious statement. Um, so, so you've talked a little bit about, um, you know, we, we've talked about the fact that, you know, there's kind of like the fall season, spring season, two sports in each season. And you've talked a little bit about the different Mac teams that are competing. Could, could you break down kind of the, the format of the season for us? I mean, is there, you know, divisions, you know, schedules, how many games are each team playing? How, how does that work? Yeah, absolutely. So building on what we know from the trial season that happened last spring, uh, essentially it's going to be split on traditional MAC lines. So you have your Eastern, you have your Western division. Each division will play each other team in their division one time. And then the top two teams make the playoffs there. Uh, tiebreaker is head-to-head. And actually in League of Legends, we had to go to a second tiebreaker, which was average time to win the game. 
Um, and things like Rock League, I assume average tiebreaker will be goal differential, that kind of thing. And then for the playoffs, it is a two-round playoff system. You play the other team from your division that qualified, and then the two winners of that play each other. So you're only going to play one non-divisional game across the ESC season if everything goes as it did in their trial season, which made for some very exciting League of Legends in the case of the trial season. Uh, we did see Ball State go toe-to-toe with Central or Northern Illinois, excuse me, two times. Northern Illinois was Ball State's only loss on the season in the playoffs. We saw Ball State with a great redemption arc. And then we did see this this feuding, this beef between Buffalo and Miami. Uh, Miami and Buffalo are two kind of like not storied League of Legends program because, you know, it's it's so young to say storied, but they were going at it. They are some hard hitters. There's a lot of talent on those teams, though. They went to a full five games in their last playoff match. It was it was a barn burner for sure. So that's how the format works, and I think I like it because it creates some exciting games when you see that team that maybe beat you or you only lost the season for the second time. Okay, so I want to take it over to the fan aspect a little bit. So both you and I go to Ball State. So if I was a a fan of, let's say, the Ball State Cardinals, is there is there any plans for kind of in-person venues or do is my only source basically Twitch? Okay. Um, I have to be <laughs> – there's things I'm not – I can't really talk about, but let's just say in the near to, to intermittent future, there are touch-and-go plans to make uh, viewership happen. I mean, you look at schools like – uh, let's let's change the venue and go to Western Michigan. Western Michigan actually has an esports arena. Same for Akron. There's a few small arenas. I mean, arena's a light word. Michigan's is really a lecture hall. They they really sent all out for it, and they actually had a LAN game this year. Uh, Central Michigan traveled to play them, and they were in the same arena. It's a super cool environment. They have seating. Like I said, Akron has the same thing. I believe Ohio has something similar. So Ball State, not yet. Maybe in the future at other campuses there's absolutely opportunity obviously with covid probably not uh that's kind of the draw of esports is that you don't have to have all the players together but uh in the future i would keep my eyes on that once we get a vaccine for all this figured out and normal life can somewhat resume yeah certainly um so in the meantime though obviously i mean you mentioned twitch as a a venue for for watching this so so how i mean what, just give me a sense. I'm trying to understand and give our audience a sense of, of the popularity of, of these, you know, these live stream matches. You know, in a, in a typical match between, you know, Fall State's playing Akron on Twitch, what would you expect in terms of, of uh, you know, viewership and, and stuff like that? Yeah, well, I think any match that Akron plays, just because they're so good nationally, could hit like 100 views, which doesn't seem like a lot. But on the collegiate aspect, I think I broadcast, I'm play-by-play for Cardinal Esports. So I'm I'm in the booth doing it every time. We're probably between like 50, 15 and 20 viewers. So it's, it's not a whole lot, but I'm confident that once it grows a little bit, we're going to see more views. I mean, now with the league being formally like a real thing and not just a trial season, I'm confident that we will start to see a little bit more of an uptick in viewership because the potential is definitely there. Sorry, (laughs) got to turn my ringer off. The potential is definitely there for esports. You talk about uh, the League of Legends World Championship for the past two years now has outviewed the Super Bowl globally. So there's a lot of interest it's just whether or not they can drum that up for the collegiate aspect and not just the professional scene. So I'm going to take a step further. So is so so what's the next step for collegiate X esports? Is it to grow viewers? Is it to get sponsorships? What's kind of that next level to for the collegiate esports? 
Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head there. I think growing, growing the viewership, getting sponsors, the thing I would love to see, the big next step for me that puts this as not just a pretender but on the same level of traditional sports is a travel schedule. Like I said, I, I saw some pictures. I believe there was a small write-up on the Central Michigan game where they went to play actually uh, at Western Michigan. And that, that's the next level for me. When you can be there in person and you see all the players, when that atmosphere is there, that's, that's, that's the game changer for me. That's when I say, all right, this is, this is real. They are taking this seriously. All the colleges are really committed to doing this because this is so young and I love to see what the Mac is doing. Like there's a real chance that this is the SEC of esports 10 years down the road. It's all about how much schools are willing to put in and how much they can put in. I mean, we talk about with COVID and how profitable it's going to be at first, what teams can really stick around and do it because we've seen success from teams that got in the game earlier. Miami, Ohio is actually the first varsity program in the nation for collegiate esports, and they are getting closer and closer from what I stand to profitability if they're not already there. So that's what I'm excited about when we can get people in person to really be there with the fans and that that environment, that atmosphere that traditional sports has. Really cool. Um, so I was curious, Ethan. I, so I read your, um, you know, your season preview on, on Hustle Belt. And w- one thing that I was hoping you could maybe elaborate on is, is so you, you mentioned a couple of different leagues in that article. So there was eSports Collegate. There's a Collegate Rocket League, Collegate Star League, Collegate Carball Association. So could you maybe explain to us and to our audience kind of how all of that fits together yes all right so there was a quick typo so the collegiate carball association is administered by the collegiate rocket league not by star league quick just if anyone read the article my bad um so basically collegiate rock league is the big that's like the nfl it's overarching right uh probably more apt comparisons to nba um and what's going on right now the collegiate carball association is like the second split is how I would explain it. Or like, imagine if the summer league mattered, right? And like your starters played and it was for money and a big trophy. That's what's going on right now. So you got your main season, then you got the College Carball Association. Both are phenomenal products. Collegiate Star League is this whole thing. They do a lot of games, but it's wholly separate from Collegiate Rock League. It's just this great esports association. They put on games for money. Um, and that's all that is. How that fits in with the ESC season is yet to be seen in Rock League. And League of Legends is very straightforward. They kind of have a March Madness-esque tournament. So if you win your conference, you're in for League of Legends. Uh, And you may get in that large bid, probably not, because our conference is so new. But I'm assuming something similar like that's going to happen. If you win our conference, you you get an automatic bid into the Collegiate Rock League, and maybe there's a chance for an at-large bid. They usually take, like, the top 64 teams in the nation, so I think that'll be an automatic qualifier kind of deal. Like I said, that is that remains to be seen, but that's how I assume it's going to happen. That's what makes most sense to me. So you touched on the money a little bit ago. Like, so uh, from my understanding, players can actually win money through tournaments and whatnot. And what's kind of the money scale right now? Is it, are they winning like $5,000, Is like, yeah. All right. Absolutely. Let me, let me see. So I believe there's a site called Liquipedia and it tracks all esports stuff. And let me see. I believe it'll tell me the all time winnings of Akron's team, but yeah, absolutely. They can win money. Um, varies from hundreds of dollars to thousands of dollars. 
But it's it's definitely real. So I believe actually the two teams, Buffalo and Ball State, did split the total winnings that would have happened from League of Legends this year. Yeah, so it'll it'll get split amongst the players and potentially the coaches, I guess. I think that's ultimately probably up for the schools to determine. But yeah, there there is prize money. Uh Liquipedia, it's on there somewhere. I, I can probably find it if you give me an hour, but absolutely. So there is prize money. Students can win. It, it very, very much does range. And then obviously when you split it up, it's not going to be a whole ton, but it steps in the right direction. I mean, depending on what you believe about collegiate athletes being paid, uh, that's part of the reason why it's not in direct association with the Mac to my understanding. Yeah, that's, that's, that's the, that's the short and long of it. They do get paid, get split amongst the players or however they want to split up the money. Um, so you, you mentioned earlier kind of, you know, the, the, the Mac champion or, or the champion of this conference kind of, you know, maybe getting an at-large bid to like the larger national tournament, you know, the 64 team tournament. So, um, Talk to us. Could you tell us maybe a little bit about some some of the other, you know, other conferences out there or other schools prominent? You know, you, you talked about how good Akron is at Rocket League. Are there other schools out there equivalent to Akron in other sports or just as competitive? Or you know, what are some of the other big players in, in college game sports? Yeah, absolutely. Um, when you talk about conferences, actually, it's not a whole ton. Uh, the NECC, which is a Division three conference, the New England Collegiate Conference just started this year and they got a bunch of D1 schools to join. I mean, it's a D3 conference, but there's no school or there's no big conference right now. So like Boise State's in there. Um, Texas A&M, I believe is in there. There's a bunch of random schools that are just looking for somewhere to have consistent play. Uh, looking at the top dog, in my opinion, across esports, you got to look no further than Maryville university. Leave their back to back legal legends winners. They toss out scholarships they are absolutely doing it right. They are going after it. Um, Robert Morris in Illinois, I believe it's right downtown Chicago, has seen some big sponsorships in there. Someone that's really getting ahead of this non-endemic marketing kind of thing. Um, oh, UC Irvine is, is the other one I would definitely think about. Boise State's up there as well, which I kind of talked about them. Those four or five schools are all I would consider cream of the crop. But Miami of Ohio and Akron are definitely in the top 10, like most renowned programs in the nation. Uh, Akron, because of the Rock League, Miami of Ohio, just because they got in the game so early, they got their skin in the game early, and they started to attract uh, talent just because of that, without throwing scholarships out really, just walk on talent. So that's really where the landscape kind of sits. And it's a great thing because it's not like you're going to have an abundance of talent in one part of the nation or the other, right? Kids get bored in Wisconsin all the time and they're playing games. People on the West Coast like to play games. People on the East Coast like to play games. I don't think you're ever going to see a real, like, Texas football kind of environment where they just have a ton of talent in the pipeline and a lot of the colleges are going to get it. I think it's going to be evenly spread for the most part. I'm looking forward to seeing conferences start to step up. Like, when is the Big Ten going to really formalize that? I believe they've talked about it and they may have officially done it, but there hasn't been any real – Big Ten play yet. Um, so that's what I'm excited to see those bigger conferences, power conferences say, hey, we are committing to this for the future. So you mentioned the scholarship aspect. So are we ever going to get to a point in your eyes where it's basically going to be like the other sports where we see um, coaches like recruiting basically in a sense, like where we're going to see coaches travel to high schools and try to offer like elite uh, esports kids like scholarships? So it is happening minus the travel. I actually have a friend, a former BSU grad who coaches at St. Ambrose University. He's their head. Uh, I guess he's an admin because uh, he oversees the coaches. But, yeah, they're handing out scholarships. They're scouting all the time. There are, there are places called scouting grounds where 
uh, high school kids would just go out to play or college hopefuls. Um, I actually commentated the high school state championship, which is a brand new thing as of last year. So the high school talent's out there and they are being broadcast. So there is scouting happening already. I think the real question is, how far will scholarships go comparatively to traditional sports? And I think that all depends on, goes back to your first question is, when does this become profitable? When does, when does the financial incentives really become worth it in school to throw some actual money at these kids? And that's something we're going to have to kind of wait and find out and see. So is that something as esports grows, do you, do you feel like that's kind of like the natural next step along with, I know you mentioned kind of like the travel play, but maybe, you know, having these fully funded programs able to actually throw some real money around and some real scholarships out of kids? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think when the programs get fully funded, that's when you really start to see this whole thing blossom. And I think something else that I'd love to see is the college to professional pipeline increase a little bit. There's a big issue where you lose all, I mean, I I think it's an issue. I'd love to see the kids play in college, uh, that the students, but a lot of people jump right to the pros 15, 16, 17, because there's, there's no rules, right? It's not like the NBA where you got to do a year of college or whatever. So you'd lose out in a lot of premier talent. I think some viewership would come with that saying, man, the top ranked player in the nation is a 14 year old uh, and their high school games on tonight. Like I kind of want to see their, their first collegiate game. Um, obviously you have to make it financially worth it for them not to jump to the pros or set up some kind of system, but I'd like to see that moving forward. But yeah, going back to your original point, that was a little tangent. Uh, once you see them start putting money into scholarships, I think the viewers are going to follow the quality of play is obviously going to increase. So how did, how does someone jump from college to the professionals? Let's say like, is there a draft system for kind of professional esports leagues? Like, how does that all work? All right, so it's different for every league. So I think professional 2K does it the most like any other sport. They have a draft. It's televised. The top players are there in person. It's exactly like the NBA draft, and that's what they're going for. Uh, Games like League of Legends, you have scouting grounds, and teams are there, and they get to pick from the players. And I believe it's reverse order of standings. Uh, But outside of that whole scouting grounds area, you can just sign whoever you want in the nation. You'd be like, oh, we need a jungler, this semi-professional or maybe retired player is available bring them onto the squad. Uh, And that's the pretty typical system. And it's all player driven. You decide where you want to play and you just sign a contract there. Uh, So you can contract trade um, in most sports. League of Legends is probably most famous for it. But yeah, things, things like Rocket League, the players just say, Hey, I want to start a team and we're going to see how far we can make it. And usually that's how you find the first great players like that. They are the shining star in their team and a really good team say, Hey, uh, we need someone who has really good rotations and can play midfield. Can we pay you enough money to draw you away from your team and join ours? So that's typically how it happens. Really cool. So what would your what are your predictions here for for the fall season here in the MAC? I know you touched on you know how strong Akron is, um, and I think obviously you also mentioned you know I think some things are still up in the air with the second uh, game not being announced yet. But from from your expert opinion as our esports guru here at Hustle Bell, what what are your thoughts on how you you see this fall season playing out? Yeah, I ultimately. Talk about the second game first that's unannounced. I'd ultimately like to see them go with Madden or with FIFA because I think that there's a huge literacy problem from a viewer's standpoint in that a lot of games, you have no idea what's going on because there it's not a human action that's happening. Anyone can watch football. Anyone can watch soccer and be like, oh, yeah, I understand that because I'm a human being and I'm watching a human being do something like, he kicked a ball, I know how to kick a ball. Even if you don't know all the rules right away, you there's a basic amount of literacy that you understand. On games like League of Legends, you got people shooting rockets out of their arms. There's a 
there's a like there's a hermit crab guy who's his is only a dude from up here. He's got a big helmet on. He walks on eight legs. Like it's just insane stuff. So you have no idea what's going on. And I think kind of easing potential viewers into it with Rocket League, it's soccer with cars. I think anyone can get that with a FIFA or a Madden because there's sports that people already understand. I think that's going to be the smart move. And I hope I hope that's what they end up going for. As for Rocket League, like I said, I don't think anyone's getting within four points of Akron. Uh, I think Akron's beating everyone by at least four. So bad news for everyone in the West with them. Kent State, Ohio, Miami, Ohio. All those guys are, are going to be in for a beating, I think. The West is very interesting to me. Uh, so I've seen Ball State play with my own two eyes, and their best player has been uh, you know, dipping their toes in the water, becoming the coach. They're not necessarily want to play anymore, but they have a real passion for coaching. And if the rest of the talent is there, I think having that coach is going to bring them to the next level to walk out of the East. But Western Michigan, Northern Illinois have had strong seasons in the Collegiate Star League. So the West is going to be, is going to be the one to watch, in my opinion. Tuning into Akron is going to be like tuning into the 73-win Golden State Warriors. You're going to see the best Rocket League you've probably ever seen, but it's going to be an absolute blowout. The passing is going to be phenomenal. The shooting is going to be phenomenal. The West is going to be a bloodbath. I think every game in the West is going to be – must see if you really like some close games, some close rock leave. You want to see those overtime matches. Those are my predictions. I'm going to say Akron and Kent state are going to come out of the East and coming out of the West. I've got ball state playing uh, Western. Okay. Those are, those are my picks. We, we may not be winning in like uh, real life. Shorts, <laughs> so we can win we're going to write that down at the end of the fall season. We're going to come back right. and see how you did. <laughs> So my my last question uh, before if Zach has any final questions. So do you ever see collegiate esports like you were talking about, like if it was fully funded scholarships and all that, taking over like the other collegiate sports like football and basketball? Do you ever see that popularity just taking over? I don't think I can ever see traditional sports becoming supplementary to esports. No, uh, especially at a collegiate level, I just don't. I just can't imagine the world like happen. I think they become somewhat equal partners and that they, they split viewership relatively evenly uh, some way down the line. I think they get split some kind of economics some income equally and get close to splitting scholarships equally. That's, that's a tough part because football is so many players, baseball, is so many players, right? For a rock league team, you need three players. That's it. League of legends five. And that's probably the biggest roster you're going to have is five. Um, so, I think they can become equal partners, but I never – I can't really foresee, at least on a collegiate level, esports taking over traditional sports. Cool. Well, uh, Sam, I, I think I'm good. Ethan, uh, I appreciate you coming on and joining us and breaking this all down for us. To be, to be completely honest, you know, for me, this is not something I know anything about. So for you to be able to break everything down for us in the different teams, the different leagues, the different games, much appreciated. I'm sure our fans will enjoy it as well. So we really appreciate you taking some time to, to talk to us today. Of course. Thank you so much for having me on, guys. Uh, Okay, that's Ethan Dolan. Where can they find you at? I I guess the big one is at Ethan J. Dolan on Twitter, uh, all lowercase. If you want to talk about esports, if you've got questions, just hit me up. I'm uh, usually not doing much. I'm pretty glued to my phone at all points in time. So that is probably more reliable to find me there than where I actually live. Okay. Thank you, Ethan, once again for joining us in – yeah, I think that's going to wrap it up. I think this was a pretty good interview. Zach, do you have any final closing thoughts? No, no final thoughts. Any any uh, young kids out there listening, play your video games. You might get a scholarship. And, <laughs> Keep uh, gaming. Money off of it. <laughs> Don't listen to your parents. Keep gaming, baby. <laughs>
Thanks to Ethan Dawn. And before we end today's episode, I want to bring up an exciting thing that's going on at Hustleboat. Homefield Apparel, the premier directed consumer clothier for college sports fans and Hustleboat, have partnered for an exclusive line of t-shirts. Yes, I said that right. Exclusive line of t-shirts. Pick up your Tuesday night or Jolly Blogger shirt on homefieldapparel.com and you can save 20% off your entire first purchase using promo code HUSTLE. Every shirt you helps us out at the blog and you'll feel good too. Thanks to Homefield's exclusive 52% cotton, 48% polyester blend. Rep the best little blog in the Midwest today by going to homefieldapparel.com and using promo code HUSTLE at checkout. Yeah, and that's going to wrap it up for episode five of the Mid-American Bandwagon podcast. I'm your host, Sam Thoman. With me, Zach Foley. Do you have any final thoughts on that? We, we, this has been a longer episode than normal. I believe we've been going for around an hour and a half to two hours. So, yeah, what, any final thoughts, Zach? No, uh, you know, time flies when you're having fun, right? I can't believe we would get a longer episode here today. I can't believe it's already episode five here. Football is right around the corner. I'm just excited. It's a great time of year. Uh, looking forward to see what uh, the max schedule looks like when it comes out here. And uh, looking forward to talking about that with you guys next week. Mm-hmm. And hopefully you guys have stuck around to the end. I know that was a longer episode than most. But hopefully you guys did enjoy. Let us know what you guys think. Again, vote on the Twitter questions. that are The Twitter question of the um, favorite mascot. I will be posting that sometime later today. And yeah, keep us in, uh, keep engaged with us. We love to do this. If you have any suggestions, let us know. That's another episode of the Mid American Bandwagon Podcast. We'll talk to you guys next Friday.